0: Hey folks, this week on the podcast we've got Neil Wagner. He is coming off the Phoenix Bass Fishing League All-American. Got the win on Lake Hartwell. It was a really cool tournament to follow. Uh, I feel like Blueback Herring Lakes are sort of inherently interesting if you're not really dialed into them. Um, and I'm not, I think most of the country isn't, you know, it's kind of, it's not a species of forage or type of lake that we're really super familiar with, so it was a fun one to watch, Um, the fishing was really good, well, I say that, the fishing was good at the top end, there were a few guys from Georgia who kind of had this thing dialed in and kind of ran away with it, the fishing was probably tough for some of the guys who did worse, and then, there were a lot of guys in the top 10 who did well on like one or two days, but didn't put a complete tournament together. Um, which kind of just goes to show how tough it was. Jeremy lawyer, uh, you know, he finished 11th and he had two pretty good days in a row, but didn't quite do as good as he needed to do to, you know, be fishing all the way through. Um, but anyhow, it was a cool derby. Uh, Emil is 25 years old he's a fishing guide he's definitely got a lot ahead of him he seems like a really interesting cat um, and I'd say he's one of those guys who's pretty well positioned to take advantage of an all-american win they've launched a lot of careers and uh, you know this you never you never know how things are gonna shake out you never know what someone's gonna decide to do with their life but uh, I think Emil you know could be you know next on that list of uh former all Americans who we sort of we write about at the beginning of articles and stuff like that, so we'll uh we'll see how it goes for him, but uh it was a good interview I think we learned quite a bit and uh I guess without further ado, here he is righty for the second time today I'm joined by emil Wagner uh I had some uh recording issues on the front end man. Uh, but I tell you what, you're still the All-American champion and we're going to talk again and it's going to be just as good as the first time. So, uh, dude, congratulations on winning.
1: Thank you so much and I agree with you. We'll we'll knock this one out of the park for sure.
0: All right. Um, well, I guess we'll start with, actu- with the actual win because um, I feel like probably it's never going to get old talking about it. Um, you kind of had this one circled on the calendar. Uh, how did it feel to... Like actually get the job done, because uh, boy, you got it done.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's unreal, and I feel like you know, kind of the cliche first interview question people will say, like, "Oh, has it sunk in?" And like, it really hasn't yet. I mean, it's there's so much work and effort and just blood, sweat, and tears leading up to an event like that, especially when you're just waiting on it, like we. You know, I I set it on stage and I've been I've been waiting on this event since they announced it last fall and I've had a bunch of stuff in between then and now and this one has been on my mind the entire time. So for all that thought and effort and everything else to actually come together with a win, I mean, it's insane. I'm honestly today's been the first day where I've really been able to just relax and be like, dang, we, we actually got it done.
0: Yeah. What's, uh, you're driving to the lake right now. What's it been like since, uh, since you won? Cause I was talking with, uh, Tyler Brinks, who was doing the writing down there. And I think he like saw you at the tackle shop at Atlanta, like the next in Atlanta or near Lanier, like the next day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, immediately after all my buddies that came to and we went and we went and ate dinner and, you know, just had some drinks and hung out and we went straight to my buddy Tim Hawkins' house, who he's part owner of Hammond Fishing Center. I've, I've worked there and just kind of been tied to that tackle shop for most of my fishing life. And we went to his house with all my buddies, had a bonfire, uh, you know, swam in the pool. And just next morning was pretty rough, but uh, <laughs> we,
0: actually,
1: we ended up, we went back out on Lanier and ate lunch and fished some more the next morning. So that's, uh, yeah, I saw... I think he said his name was Tyler. I I couldn't quite remember, but yeah, we I ended up seeing him at Hammond's the uh, Hammond Fishing Center there that next morning, which was pretty funny. But yeah, we uh, we went straight back to the lake that next morning and caught some.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Did the fish did it feel like they knew that you were an All American champion? Like, were they did they bite better? Were they more scared of you? Could you tell?
1: <laughs> well, it was like I said, we had we had a pretty good bit of fun that night before, so. It was uh, Saturday boat traffic on Lanier, plus all that. So the fishing wasn't quite spectacular, <laughs> but we went we went out there and literally just had lunch on the water and then we caught like two or three in an hour and then just called it a day. And then I drove back up to Hartwell to, uh, we got a house up there, my parents do, and I celebrated with them that next day. And then I drove back down here to Marietta. So uh got to nice. hang out with everyone. It was awesome.
0: That's awesome. I, uh, I've uh i been into Hammond's. I went in there, you know, when the FLW um, Tour uh, event was at Lanier. That place is an awesome tackle store.
1: It's insane. I mean, I've gotten to the point now where, you know, I don't go in there and just spend all my money every time, but it's literally, like, I describe it as, like, if you took a Bass Pro Shops and filtered out all the BS that you don't actually ever buy, that's Hammond's. Like, it's it's just got every, like, even the stuff that you'd expect to have to buy from, like, a, you know, like, a hookup tackle or, like, somewhere with, you know, some really specific niche stuff, like, Hammond's has got it. It's it's an insane store.
0: Yeah. Well, they it seems like they've got everything, but also they have, like, a lot of stuff specific to Lanier and specific yeah. to that part of the country, which is what I yeah. love about, like, a cool tackle store. Like, we don't really have those up north. You know, our... Our, our northern tackle stores, it's like, great. They also sell worms and sinkers and stuff for guys who want to walleye fish. You know, like, I can't find, I can't really point you to a really good bass-specific tackle store up north. But the south has right. them all over the place. And, like, you know, you might go to one in East Tennessee, and you've got, like, Domeki stuff for days and every jerkbait you want. And Texas, you're like, I didn't know they made worms this big. <laughs> so it's cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, it is. I mean, you go in there, you go to the back, there's like, we've got like 12 bait tanks and half of them are just chock full of herring and all the handmade swim baits, I mean, all the, you know, the custom painted stuff, top waters, I mean, you name it, it's like, if you need anything herring related, that's that's the place to be.
0: I didn't, so I didn't intend to talk about this and we'll, obviously we'll get into how you won the tournament, but have you ever live bait fished? For bass with herring? I have,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, not something I do often, but it, occasionally, like I even advertise it on my website for the guide trips, like I don't do live bait, but sometimes I'll get, like say it's like a, you know, like a father-son or like two kids or something and like they really don't ever fish and they're like, we just want to have it be easy and catch something, yeah. we'll go do it. And then I've probably, you know, on a handful of times done it with some buddies and you can go out there and if you freeline a herring, like, over the top of a brush pile or, like, on a seawall when the herring are spawning, like, it's, it's like borderline cheating. Like, it's just like dropping dynamite in the water. They go Gosh. absolutely. Yeah, I actually, I had one trip about a month ago, and that it was, like, peak herring spawn. And the it was a dad and his son, and the son was, I think he was six years old. So, I mean, doing what we do, that would have been dang near impossible. So, I went and got like four dozen herring, and we went, there was one bridge, they were spawning all over the pilings, and we sat there and pitched them at this one set of pilings just over and over. It was ridiculous.
0: Wow. I've uh, I've only shiner fished once in Florida, and I feel like if I lived in Florida, I might shiner fish like three times a week and go broke buying Shiners yeah. Well When it's
1: the same field there, like, you know, you've got a grass mat where if. You punch down the edge of it you might be lucky to get one bite and then you might mess it up or as if you fish the shiner on it it's like anything that's there is going to eat it and it's, yeah. it's the same it's insane but you Gosh. can't do it too much it'll it'll ruin you
0: all right well let's uh let's talk about you know how you won 120k uh how uh how you got it done here uh, at hartwell not linear. um you basically you fished a nearly perfect tournament as far as i can tell uh, you caught a big bag on day one. You caught a bigger bag on day two. Uh, and you still did good on the final day. Um, like, you did everything you needed to protect your lead and more. Um, yes, sir. Tell tell me about how you were catching them. Because you had, like, a little rotation of baits. You, had, a, you yeah. had sort of a, a, a sum of a rotation of spots. And then a lot of spots you were just hitting. Like, give me the lowdown.
1: Yeah, so I came down and pre before the cutoff, graphed for four days straight, daylight to dark, and just, it's a big lake, so it takes a long time to cover it all, and uh, I wanted to see everything. And in that four days, believe it or not, I didn't even get, I think I finished from the dam to, like, Anderson Island, and then during our official practice, I spent the other two and a half and worked all the way up to those main two bridges, like the six and 20 bridge. And then the one that goes into the Seneca river and, you know, it's such a healthy lake and there's so many fish in it. I've got probably after doing that, like three to 400 places you could pull up and just catch one, but maybe even like, it's insane, but the deal was figuring out there were certain, whether it was uh, a drop from shallow to deep water, a brush pile, or just sometimes those fish don't even get on brush or anything, really. They'll just be on a point because they want to be on that point. So, you know, you in practice, I wouldn't just graph. I would graph, and then I'd kind of get up if I thought the place was good and get a feel for what was actually down there, and I'd try to call the fish up, and if I knew there was some good fish in there, I'd add it to the rotation, and um, day one of that tournament, I ran as many of those places that I thought were good that I could, and I still didn't have time to hit them all. And then the second day... I kind of had it narrowed down to like, okay, I hit, you know, 80 yesterday. These were the 30 or 40 that I think were better than the rest. And then by the third day, I think I had it down to like 12 places. So I try to just find as much high percentage stuff in practice as I can, and then actually figure it out in the tournament. But uh, as far as baits go, I caught them all on a, um, a six cent catwalk, top water, a uh, Seville magic swimmer and a fluke. And, you know, it's It kind of just depended on how they were set up. If they were really eating and they were set up super high in the water column and there was enough of them, you could catch them on a true topwater. And uh, I was talking to a buddy about it earlier. It seems like on Hartwell they don't eat a topwater quite as good as they do on, like, a Lanier. But um, you could definitely still get some bites on it and, you know, some really good quality. And then the Seville was, you know – pretty i probably weighed in half of my fish on that thing and i wasn't getting that many bites on it but i was getting some really good ones and you know it was was one of those deals where if i took the fluke i could get bit on probably 50 percent of those brush piles sometimes every single one if they were biting really good and with this you know with a swim bait whether it's a seville or any of the handmade ones that they make around the house you know whatever you pull up on those places and you might screw up three or four of them in the sense that all they do is follow it and swirl and then you've kind of messed it up. But when you do get a bite, it's a good one. And it's a, you know, it's a five fish limit. So if you can make sure that every fish you have is a three to four pounder, you're just better off at the end of the day. So I would usually start out the day getting comfortable, catch like 10 to 12, you know, 13, 14 pounds. And then I'd switch gears and take up a top water in a swim bait, really try to get a big bite. I think the last day was the only day where, it just got super tough. I think I weighed four of them on a fluke the last day. And then I had my biggest, my second biggest one was on a a swim bait.
0: You're uh the the fluke too, you had to like fiddle with that throughout the event too. Like you threw it, I guess weightless the first couple days. And then the last day you were putting a nail weight in it.
1: Yeah. So it actually, it, Yeah, so the last day, it was sunny and no wind, and whenever it's like that, those fish tuck tighter to the brush, and they're just harder to call up, so if you put a little bit of weight in it, whether it's, like, I've also done, like, you know, the standard EWG style hook with a belly weight, but Mm -hmm. what I did that, or that last day, was I just took a four-out worm hook, and I slid a 16-ounce nail weight in the, uh, kind of the top, like the back side of that fluke, and all that does is, when you're twitching it, instead of it just almost darting on top of the surface it darts a foot or two below the surface and those fish just get a better look at it you can see you know on your live scope if you throw it over a school and it's weightless a lot of times you know they won't even end up seeing it but then when it's a foot or two or three down there they uh, they actually get a look at it and you you've got a lot better shot of catching one but yeah i was definitely doing a nail weight that last day and then the first two days you know we had clouds and wind and you really didn't need it so I, uh, I don't think I threw one those first two days. If I did, it wasn't for very long. And then, yeah, I had a, had a decent little run of colors, too. I was throwing, I think they call it blue glimmer. I threw that one a lot. And then uh, a disco green, too, or a disco violet. Those are both good colors. Uh, the first day, I caught some on a pearl white. We had clouds. And uh, it really just depended. I know, you know, when the clouds move over that sun, you almost you've almost got a conditions change for just that, like, five minutes that sun's gone. So I'll switch to, like, a clear color even a chrome when that sun's out. And then once those clouds move back in, you'll go back to, like, a white or a more natural color. And it really, it changes by the minute. Hmm.
0: I saw uh, when we had the uh, All-American there the last time, not this most recent one, but that one Chris Macy one, uh, yeah. I saw some guys throwing like, a chartreuse fluke or maybe it was like caffeine yep, shad playing like that siren color. Do you ever mess with that?
1: So it's funny you asked that. Cause I had a bunch of like, you know, my buddy Jack Daniels, he stayed with me that week and some other guys from out of town. They're like, you like that chartreuse fluke. And for whatever reason, I just haven't ever messed with it. I've got, you know, four or five colors that I feel like I can switch out depending on the conditions. And I've just never had a reason to throw it. I'm, Maybe that's being stubborn, and I need to try it. But I've uh, I've never personally messed with it, but I do know it works because there are guys who catch them, no doubt.
0: Okay, I think we can just firmly put chartreuse flukes in the overrated category uh, <laughs> because uh, it sounds yeah. like if you don't need them to win the All American, you just don't need them.
1: Yeah, the, I guess the sales are about to go way down on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, they the disco violet. The uh, well, I guess people can't really buy magic swimmers. Actually. So, what's the deal on this? Because, as far as I know, the Berkeley Magic Swimmer is the same thing as the Sebel. Is it not? Yeah. Do you have theories about this? Cause... yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, I'll break it down for you. So they had Sebel Magic Swimmer. That's the original one. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I don't know all like the business behind it or what exactly happened, but obviously it was bought by, or pretty much they stopped making it, and then I guess Berkeley bought the. I don't know what they did, the patent, the mold, something, but it's got the new one. It's the same bait, but it's got like a different scale pattern and a little bit different sound to it. I think, I mean, I've thrown the new one and I've got a bunch of the old ones and I mean, they're pretty dang similar. The old one does have a different knock to it. I was throwing the original one in a, in the tournament, but I think one of the other colors I threw some was one of the new ones, but they're, they're almost identical, but yeah, Berkeley, the magic swimmer, it's, it's the same exact thing. We, we sell a ton of them at Hammond's and they've even got like chrome ones now in colors they didn't have before. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the deal there.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at a Berkeley magic swimmer I have in my hands here. It's uh chartreuse on the top and the bottom and like shiny in between. And I got it cause I thought maybe smallmouth would eat it. Uh, and Anyway, I guess that's good that maybe it works, but that's uh, oh, yeah, but they, it's they uh, it's always work. interesting how baits will some of them will really hold on, and some of them, you know, like I mean, I've never heard anybody say that a modern 6XD isn't as good as they used to be, you know, right? But right. at the same time, it's like, oh man, wiggle warts, you got to have the old one, <laughs> so it's just, yeah. yeah, and sometimes that's true, and sometimes I wonder if it's not, so I had to ask.
1: Well, I think I think what it is ninety percent of the time is it's probably all mental. So, like, if you buy an original Seville and you think it gets better, bit better than the new one, then you're just gonna you're gonna have more confidence throwing it. You're probably gonna catch a lot more on it. And I feel like the same probably goes for a lot of baits. And there's definitely some exceptions. Like, I don't think you can make an argument for the original Wiggle Wiggle War being better. I mean, I feel like a bunch of people have tested that, but. No, I 100% know what you mean. I, I find myself wondering the same thing. I'm like, is it really worth spending weeks on eBay trying to find this bait that looks the exact same as the new one? Kind of like the Excalibur, like the trap. You know, oh, the yeah. I
0: yep. you
1: know, like I had that Huntersville Toyota, and I don't even like throwing a trap in the first place. And I, uh, Gosh, I scoured eBay and ended up getting some, and, I mean, who knows if it even makes a difference. I'm pretty sure it's literally the exact same mold, so
0: I'm right there with you. Who knows? Dude, so I don't—I'm with you. I don't like throwing a trap. Like, it's not a thing that I really have All ever right. had success on. Uh, And I have two of these Excaliburs sitting in my box, and I don't throw them because I don't even—I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm saving them for something, I probably should right. put them on ebay but then maybe one of these years i'll have to go to gunnersville in the spring and i'll be like well thank god i saved these for 10 years put some yeah. new hooks on it or ready to rock i have i have no idea
1: <laughs> well it's funny like so i had the six toyota this year and i was fortunate like i think i got you know
0: three three
1: top tens and then i had two i think i got 30th at okeechobee and then 40th at terrace chain and the one i bought the most lures for and the most crap i didn't have was gunnersville and i tried to do all that the first day and absolutely sucked and then the second day i just went and did what i like to do and moved up like a hundred spots but it's funny because like i literally i had like these jdm silent traps like all kinds of crap thinking i was gonna find something they'd eaten that grass that nobody else was throwing and just ended up doing terrible because i wasn't you know it wasn't me and It's just funny how that works, because for the other tournaments, I literally like Florida. I think, you know, all you have to find Florida is chatterbaits and worms and punching weights. And then for Harris Chain, it was the same deal. But, yeah, just funny how that works.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, For the the Magic Swimmer, while we're on that, and I guess the Fluke, because both of those are things that are kind of a little foreign to me, Um, even though they're like a well-known, consistent thing. What rod reel line do you use on the fluke? And, like, how do you set the hook? Because in my mind, that yep. is one of the baits that I lose a lot of fish on. And then I have kind of the same question about the swimmer.
1: Yep, yep. So uh it's funny you say that because I've heard so many people say they lose fish on it. And for me, it's like I throw it because it has one of the best land ratios. But really all it is is I do 15-pound mainline uh braid it's just Seagar Smackdown. sometimes i'll do 10 and i'll do either a 10 or 12 pound leader i used to do eight but that's a disaster because the way they eat it and all the stripers and stuff you'll you'll end up breaking off but i actually do 10 all the time but then for this tournament i just really didn't want to break any off so i did 12 and i actually i actually did it to a, a 15 pound braid mainline because if you do that 10 for whatever reason when you do 10 pound braid at least with that one i use to a 12 pound leader you can tie the best knot ever i do the alberto i probably need to learn the fg but it'll slip through itself for some reason so you'll just go to cast and your whole leader will just go flying so i had to do the 15 to the 12 even though i normally just do 10 10 but that's the deal for the line and then i do it to just a four-aught gamagatsu worm hook that's all it is it's super simple um i've done the you know people do like the cover shot the owner they do like the rebar hook i've done that the four out rebar hook i've done the nose hook with you know you put a hitchhiker in the head and do a nose hook i've added treble hooks i've done all that stuff and i always just come back to a plain four out worm hook i think it looks the best it doesn't you know the treble hook doesn't foul anything up when you're when you got it on there and really all it is is Believe it or not, I try a lot of the times not to watch the fluke when I'm working it because if you see them come up there and eat it, it'll totally mess you up and you'll pull it out of their mouth a lot of the times. So I'll just keep working it, and then once I feel the fish, I'll – you're not – it's definitely not a jig hook set. It's just – you kind of just sweep into them. Like, it's not a crankbait hook set either. You're not just barely pulling on them, but it's just a good, hard sweep. And you actually, I just thought about this. One thing I always – try to preach is I do a lot lighter drag than most people and you know I feel like the hook almost always penetrates and what you get with lighter drag is I see a lot of people on spinning rods they'll tighten that drag all the way down and every time that fish shakes his head he's getting slack lines somewhere in there whereas if you have loose drag every time that fish moves or shakes his head the line's staying tight the whole time because it's pulling drag so it doesn't get a chance to shake the hook whereas if you had a tight drag you know, there's there's just always there's there's just slack in the whole system. So, light drag, 12 pound line, four out Gamagatsu worm hook, and just a sweet hook set.
0: And it's like just a regular, uh like a regular wire EW, not EWG, just the offset, not like a super line hook. Correct. Right?
1: Not not a super line, not an EWG, just the regular black nickel four out worm hook.
0: Okay, I mean that's as classic as it gets.
1: Yeah, and I do I throw the three out as well. I've i been back and forth between them, and I still don't know which one I like more, but those are the two. I threw the four at the All American though.
0: All right. For the uh for the swimmer, uh, how what's the retrieve on that and then what is your setup? Are you fishing it on braid and like a crankbait rod, or are you fishing it on fluoro and a cranking rod? What's the deal?
1: That so I've been I've been. I'm still messing with rods right now, but I think I finally got the one. It's a, uh, it's a seven six, medium heavy, moderate cranking rod, and I throw a fifteen pound fluoro, on a fast gear ratio reel. So just anything, you know, a seven or eight. Yeah. And the key with that bait is knowing the way they want it that day. So sometimes it's rod tip down and you want it a foot or two below the surface. Some days it's rod tip up, medium retrieve, and then some days they want it almost just like a slow wake under the surface. So. <laughs> one of those three retrieves is usually the deal and that's one thing with herring lakes. like the way they want those baits literally changes day by day hour by hour and once you figure out how to make all those small adjustments that's when I feel like you can kind of get ahead of other guys and uh yeah really I think most of the ones I caught on it at Hartwell were I had the rod tip up and I was doing a meekin retrieve because we had just a little bit of wind and they definitely weren't just gagging on it so if you reeled it too quick a lot of times it would just pull the school, you know, over to you, and you'd never get one to actually commit to the bait.
0: Okay. It's it's interesting, you know, we talked earlier, and folks obviously didn't hear this, but we kind of <laughs> talked about how you were running a pretty classic pattern, right? You're fishing some yep. uh, drops, some objects, you're making targeted casts, and scope isn't necessarily changing the world for you. It's just letting you target the brush or the cane more efficiently right but now now listening to you I'm starting to think well wait a minute what if he is able to adjust his tactics a lot better by seeing how fish respond which he wouldn't have had that information before so I guess what's the how much are you like oh he didn't look he didn't look at it that time let me throw this at him or how much is that something that you just develop as a sixth sense throughout the day
1: it's just like you just said it's this weird like me and my buddies talk about it all the time but it's like it's almost impossible to explain but like you'll throw something in there and it's like you see them either kind of react to it or they don't react at all and then you're like "Ah, i gotta pick this up or it's like if there's more wind on it then you just throw the swim bait in there again because you know they should eat it and it's you just see these situations over and over again and you learn just the little bitty adjustments to make at every spot like I remember vividly the uh, the last day of that tournament, I had a five pounder and it carried my bag and I pulled up to probably the best place I had. I threw a topwater over it and I started working it and they were just trailing it out and I reeled it in as fast as I possibly could. And what happens when you do that is those fish come straight to your boat. So you gotta be laser quick. So I reeled it in as fast as I could, laid it on the side of the deck, picked up a fluke, pitched it probably 40 feet out in front of the boat and caught a five pounder and had Uh i been five or ten seconds later those fish would have been under the trolling motor or had i kept working that top water one probably would have never committed to it and i would have never got that bite so it's like little things like that make a big difference and you're right although we're not doing anything really different with live scope now like it's the same thing we did before just lining up with a waypoint we can now do it a way more efficiently and b you can tell how they're reacting to stuff at every stop so you can You can just perfect everything you're doing.
0: Yeah. Like, you watch, you know, Patrick Walters or Spencer Sheffield follow a fish around, you know? And, like, deliberately catch that fish. Like, that's not what you're doing. You're still target fishing. But you're just picking up a lot more information.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, like, I always tell people when you come to a herring lake, especially in the summer you have to throw everything you know about traditional bass fishing out the window like it's totally its own program and it's a special deal but yeah you're you're 100 right it's not oh there's a single fish over 80 foot let's go chase this thing down until he bites it's like you could probably catch some doing that but it's just it's really not the deal you're more just trying to fire up these you know four to 50 fish schools, and um just trying to figure out how to get one to react that's really the biggest deal
0: Uh, I I guess that goes a long way to explain why, you know, you, O'Connell, and then Benson did so much better than everyone else. I mean, you guys, you three were really, like, out ahead. Unlike, it's rare to see a tournament where that many people are out ahead. Like, usually you see, like, maybe one or two guys. And here it was a group of you who, like, I mean, going into the final day, it was legitimately, it was a two and a half or a three man race. Like for sure. It felt like anyway.
1: Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And you look at the top 10 baits, It's like, we're not, we don't have anything secret we're throwing at them. It's that's really not it at all. It's just, again, it's honestly hard to explain sometimes, but if you just see the situations over and over again and you learn the small adjustments you have to make throughout the day and you learn to time your stuff, right. You learn to cycle your best places and you just learn to be super efficient and at the end of the day I think you just end up, you know, catching more than the next guy who's maybe a little more green to it.
0: Yeah. Um you guys are moving around a lot? Are you exhausted at the end of the day? It looks like uh yeah. Yeah. really hard work for the, to do this kind of fishing well.
1: It really is. You're yeah, you're 100% right and I, you know, I guy throughout the whole summer, so I almost get like accustomed to it, but it's it's probably the most physically demanding way you can fish. And I've told people before, I think it helps to be in good physical shape, honestly, to fish herring lakes. Cause I mean, it's, you're pulling the trolling motor, you know, 60, 70, 80 times a day. And you're dropping it just as many times. You're running to the console and running back up to the front deck and it's hot out. I mean, it's, it's about as, uh, as intense as it gets for sure. And I mean, on top of that, you're missing big blow-ups and everything, and by the end of the day, you are absolutely whooped. Like, the end of that tournament, that was probably the most most exhausted I've ever been.
0: Oh, yeah, because, I mean, I, well, you might, one, you might not have ever fished a three-day tournament doing that in that kind of heat before, and then, you know, two, like, you probably haven't fished a three-day tournament where you've worked that hard before.
1: <laughs> no, no, definitely haven't. I mean... I've come you know some of the Lanier like the 2-day BFL like late in the summer that's probably the closest I could get to it but even then you know you're practicing for maybe a day you know this one I mean there's just daylight to dark no excuses graphing the whole time I mean you're not just graphing and sitting down you're every when I find a good place I get up I check it and it's just you know the culmination of everything but yeah definitely um, helps to drink a lot of water and be in shape when you're running brush like that no doubt
0: yeah no doubt so uh i guess um you've been doing this for a while now um you're only you're only 25 but you know you've you've been guiding you worked in the fishing industry a little bit out of college you fished in college and and uh one of the most interesting things about you is that you're not originally from the u.s you're from you were born in uh denmark your family yep. is from there. You Most of your family still still lives there. You know, like your parents and your immediate family are here in the U.S. Uh, how do you... I guess, one, how did you get here? Tell me about that. And then, two, how do you go from, like, not... I mean, I don't know if you have Bass over there, but how do you end up winning an All-American on Lake Hartwell when you could be... I mean, doing anything else, you know, you could have, you could be playing soccer or or something like that.
1: (laughs) Right. No, you're, you're dead on. And it's, uh, so really I've got two older siblings and, uh, four younger and I was the last one born in Denmark. So my parents had three of us. And when I was about a year and a half old or so, we actually came over here for my dad's job. He got offered a, you know, a new position that required him to work here and we we're only supposed to be here for like three four years and for whatever reason we ended up staying i don't i'm trying to remember if it was either his job or they were just comfortable here and so we just ended up staying and never left and uh, we just go back you know once every year once every two years to see family but i've been fishing ever since i can remember like we had i remember the neighborhood i grew up in we had a pond at the clubhouse and I would walk down there almost every single day and just catch whatever. I mean, I remember at the start, I would always go down there, catch bluegill, put the bluegill on a bigger hook, throw them out on a bobber, and catch some pretty big largemouth, honestly. And then kept doing that even more. I remember I'd always throw that Rapala, like floating minnow. We'd throw that around and catch a bunch of bass. And then in middle school, me and my buddy William, who I fished all through high school with, we started fishing. He had a canoe with a trolling motor. And every weekend we'd put it in his pond or like go somewhere else with it. I remember we'd take it to some of the rivers and we just both kind of got obsessed with it. And then ninth grade in high school, we both uh, started the fishing team there and we fished every year in high school, went to every tournament that one of our dads could captain for us. And neither of our dads were bass fishermen. So, I mean, it was literally just us wanting to do it. Like I, I don't really know where the motivation came from. I think, it's almost just one of those things that you've got in you like if you've got the bug, you've just got it, and how I got it, I don't even know I know i'm I know I've always been super competitive, but once I got to that first like fishing tournament and I'm afraid i I remember vividly like I was like, this is what I want to do like nothing else makes me feel like this. so no doubt this is uh this is what I want to be doing and it it always has been.
0: It's so cool how you can end up at the same point that you know so many other people did who like you know you grew up with a farm pond and your dad fished tuesday nighters or you know you got your first copy of bassmaster magazine when you were five or whatever like you know you were watching fishing on the tv in the morning like it's just a whole it's really neat that you arrived at it from just such a different route um yeah
1: Yeah. because i think my dad's caught like one or two bass in his whole life and like they're just so busy with other stuff like they're you know they're great parents but they just you know I kind of do my own thing and oh, you know, yeah I mean
0: if you've got six siblings they, <laughs>
1: but yeah it's just not what they do you know and like yeah. my siblings didn't really either but they're really I don't know I really don't know what originally got me into it I just know I've always, I've always loved it
0: that's I mean that's awesome and it's working out too. Like, you know, you, uh, you've, you're, you're guiding a bunch, you're fishing tournaments very successfully. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing where you've got a really bright future in it. Um, and like, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's gone literally as well as it could have, in my opinion. And, I'm uh, i'm super grateful it's uh this is the first year i hopped into those toyotas and even that i was like dang yeah i don't even know i need to maybe i need to just fish more around the house and save up because it was a lot of money but it it ended up being a really good year there and then to win this i mean it's i don't know it still feels surreal but i'm just super super thankful and i'm excited to keep doing it i've got no plans to do anything else
0: yeah so you've made let's see uh, you made wh- over like forty six grand in the Toyotas this year? Cause the uh, Central Division, you had a second place finish, and you uh made let's see, two top tens, and then the Southern Division, you made a top ten, and you got a check in every single one of them. Um, you like you're qualified for the Invitational's. You've had a lot of success now kind of around the country like what do you think the what do you feel like the future holds what's the short-term plan have you thought about it very much yet
1: (laughs) yeah i have and um you know there's there's obviously a lot of options the invitationals are a hundred percent up there as one of you know the number one uh number one options but i just i've always just wanted to fish for a living and tournament fish for a living specifically and, yeah, that's really why I started guiding. I love I love picking people fishing, don't get me wrong, but I wanted to be able to have a way to supplement my tournament fishing while I wasn't at a tournament, and it's, uh, it's great being able to come home. Like, I just got done with this, and now I'm, I'm guiding for the next, you know, two weeks straight before Champlain, and I really just, I'm just enjoying the process as much as I can, and uh, I guess what's up next is whatever i end up fishing next year it definitely will at the very least be what i did this year but hopefully another step up whatever that might be but i'm just like i already said i'm just enjoying the process and i've got uh i just want to tournament fish for a living and i know it's not easy and i get all that so i'm just taking one to come not really thinking too far into the future but uh just every tournament i just kind of treat it as this is what I'm here doing now. And then we'll focus on the next one when it gets there. So, All
0: well, right. Well, see. unless we, unless we announce the all American for like Lanier or something, in which case you're uh, going to have another year <laughs> of obsessing over <laughs> the upcoming all American, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I actually, I don't know if we touched on this, but I fished, um, I missed the first one on Lanier this year because they had to delay the Gunnersville Toyota, but I should be fishing two more regional championships this fall so I'd, I'd love to be back at the All-American I mean that was such an awesome experience so I don't know where they're putting it next year I highly highly doubt they'd go Hartwell twice in a row but another Herring Lake would be pretty dang cool whether it's Arch Hill, Kiwi, Lanier there's a lot of good options I wish we'd see Herring Lakes more on uh, the tour schedules I feel like they're kind of uh, underrepresented but maybe that'll change Hartwell is an exception though, I will say that classics go there, cups go there, you know, all that stuff, so, but, um, yeah, I don't know, we'll see what the schedules look like this fall, and then I'll make my decision from there, I guess.
0: Yeah, we, we definitely have a, uh, there's a ton of events at Hartwell, but I really wish, yeah. and I, I don't know if Lanier is the only option, or if there's some others, because, you know, you have to have the right size fishery, and you have to have, like, the right, right. stuff around it, but, like, oh, 100%. I would we when we went there for that tour event at Lanier, the first it kinda got tough like the last day. It was like rainy and really terrible. But the first yeah. three days of that tournament were some of the most fun three days of like tournament fishing that I had been a part of. And yeah, I would yeah. oh my god, I would I would kill to go back there. Well, not kill, but I would love to go back there again. Um,
1: um. And, Jody, I'm telling you right now, when y'all went, it was not even a shadow of what it is now. Like, I'm telling you, Lake Lanier is one of the potentially, like, it's, it's right there with Murray as probably the best lakes in the south right now. It is absolutely unbelievable.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I believe it. I, every time I look at BFL results for there and for, and for Murray, I'm like, holy crap. And then like There's you'll see real. like a BPT guy parachute in, and Sheffield will be like, "Oh yeah, I caught twenty seven pounds of spotted bass or whatever in like six yeah. hours." It's like, okay, this is ridiculous. Why are we not there every day? <laughs> but you know, that's I guess, uh,
1: like you're saying, facilities and just I don't know exactly how it works, but I know you know it's what it, you know. You get paid by wherever you have the tournament, so I'm sure Hartwell yeah, that's does great.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but it would be—it's one of those places that I would really love to bring a big tournament to. It's uh, it seems like it'd be really fun to watch live, uh, unless you are really strongly anti live scope. Um, and uh, <laughs> well, man, those crank, fish are cool.
1: I mean, you can do a lot of stuff cranking. You can catch some dirt shallow on a shaky head. Uh, but yeah, definitely live scope would be in play, no doubt. But there's a lot of options on that lake, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, no, it. I I agree. It's it's a cool place. Um. I guess uh, for you now you're you're going up to Champlain, which wasn't on the, for the Toyota, which that wasn't really on the radar prior to this event, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, I, I, don't, I was just kind of going to stay home and guide, and you know, I just I wasn't. It's such a long trip. Oh, I was it's just a hot. Like, yeah. yeah. Days to miss work and everything else. So, but now that I have a little bit of a financial cushion, I was like, you know what? I'm going to treat it as a vacation and. I need to learn how to smallmouth fish at some point. So, like, I'm going to go.
0: I like it. I think that's a, that's like, it's probably not a bad call. It's, it's a, it's a good time to go too because you'll get to see, like, depending on what part of the lake you're in and, like, depending on wh- what you want to go do, you'll probably be able to see, like, three or four different things happening. And if you uh, stay even cold. after it and you're there another week, you'll see, like, even more summertime stuff sort of start to develop. So, it's it's not a bad thing at all, and I mean, it's a great lake to vacation to. I say that as someone who lives here and loves to go on a mini vacation for a weekend to Lake Champlain. So, it's uh, where do you
1: where do you live in relation to that lake? I know I was looking through your Instagram. You're a pretty dang good fisherman yourself. I saw you had some. Some top fives. I think I saw some BFLs on your your page. I could be wrong, but I know I saw some trophies.
0: Yeah, I have my moments. I fish in the ABAs. I can't fit I'm not allowed to fish our tournaments. Um Okay, that makes
1: sense then. It was an ABA then. But okay. yeah,
0: like I fish that New York division of ABAs when it lines up. Um but uh I am like an hour and a half from the south end of Champlain. And then, you know, realistically, like two and a half or three hours from the north end of Champlain. So I'm not really close to it. I'm not, you know, but right. I'm also well, not far from it. speaking. Yeah. You're it, I'm close. a lot closer than most of the country. And as far as like a tournament lake, like that's my home tournament lake for sure.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I've never, uh, I've never even driven close to that far for, anything, so. I'll have to get a buddy to come fish it as a co-angler and we can split the ride or something.
0: Yeah. It's a, uh, definitely a haul. Um, but the other thing you got on the schedule now, which is new is red crest. Um, yes, you knew, I guess you knew that that was a possibility, uh, when you're fit, when you entered, the, you know, when you got into the tournament, when you had the chance, Yeah. but like, what, uh, have you been mulling that over at all? Because like, I mean, I guess Kevin Van Dam will be there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You've probably fished against Dakota E. Bear before, but, like, you'll have, you know, you'll have Wheeler and Jordan Lee, like, idling out side yeah. by side of you, probably. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's unbelievable. I mean, that's the part of the, it's weird, that's the part of the tournament I was, you know, or at least thinking about the win, other than just the trophy, that was the part I was most excited about. But it's also the part I keep forgetting about. And then someone will like mention it just like you did. I'll be like, holy crap. I do get to fish red crest. Like, I keep forgetting (laughs) it. But no, it's going to be insane. I mean, like, I've been a fan of the sport for ever since I can remember. I mean, I watch more YouTube than probably any human should. And I watch all the tournaments and everything. And to get to fish against those guys is going to be incredible. I mean, whether I do good or bad or whatever, just to be there and, I and mean, don't get me wrong, I'm going to do everything in my power to win that tournament. But just to get to fish against those guys and be part of it is going to be unreal.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. It's a any of those championship events are really cool events. Um, and you know, I haven't. Well, I've been to the Classic once. I can't say I'm an expert on the Classic, but I've been to Red Crest a couple of times now, and it's a. Uh, you like, you can feel it. And I've been to a whole bunch of Forestwood cups and you can absolutely just feel a different vibe at those championship events. It's, it's special. Like, you know, you don't want to ever take it for granted. I don't think that you're going to get to fish it or, you know, if you're a guy who's in it, you know, you don't want to, who's in it a lot. I don't think you want to take that for granted either. Um, No, absolutely. But uh, but I'm, I'm beyond
1: excited. I'm beyond excited for it. I'm, I'm going to try to spend some time over there. I think I already talked to Daniel Fennel because I wanted to make sure I was good on the rules and everything, but I know, I think they have like a 30 day off limits or so. So I'm going to try to get down there and really just get comfortable with it because river fishing is something I haven't done a lot of, but I'd like to have a good showing. So going to do all I can, no doubt.
0: Absolutely. This is kind of a side question, but you know, you said you watch a lot of YouTube. You are, you know, you watch, you're a fan of the sport, how, what have you, like, what has been your media consumption sort of habits for fishing over the last few years? And has it changed? I, I'm just curious. Cause like you're like a little oh, yeah. mini case study that I just want to know about right now, Yeah. which yeah. is off topic, but I'm interested. Cause so, you know, you you're, you're way into where
1: it. I, do you mean like where I consume it or how much of it I consume?
0: Oh, I guess any of it. Like, do you watch the Elite series and BPT? Do you just watch BPT? Yeah. Do you yeah. watch it all? Do you flip through every photo gallery? Or do you watch, watch. live and then YouTube? You know, what's what do you do?
1: <laughs> I watch it all. I mean, YouTube's definitely number one, and then I watch all the lives. So, like, I feel like they almost... Didn't they do away with, like, the shows, like the Elites or the MLF, or whatever? Like, they kind of... There's no more, like, 2020 you know, three, whatever, call it, I like think.
0: Yeah, I feel like they, I think they still do them, but usually they run just so far after Live has. It's like not, it doesn't feel like it's worth watching, you know? Yeah, I don't even know if they put them on
1: YouTube anymore. I could be dead wrong. But anyway, I watch, like, you know, all the pros have their independent channels. Yep. Now I watch a bunch of that. I watch Bass Live. I watch, you know, Bass Pro Tours Live. I watch all of it. Like, if I'm not fishing, if I'm at the home just chilling, it's I watch a ton of YouTube. I, I listen to a bunch of podcasts. I mean, it's just I don't ever watch TV or anything. So, pretty much anything I consume is YouTube or Bass Live. And then, I mean, I read all, like, the, the top ten baits and stuff. I just, I'm, I'm weird. Like, I'll watch some guys, like, 13th place BFL video from four years ago. I just get enjoyment out of that stuff. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll watch it all.
0: I, there's something that's so therapeutic about watching live fishing for me where yeah. like I'll get home and I'll turn it on and you just hear the you know the zzz, click click zzz, clicks of like just people mm-hmm. casting or yep. like fighting a smallmouth and you hear the drag and it's just something about it is like yeah this is this is good even if even if I'm only like sort of paying attention while I'm eating dinner or something like that there's I I could watch fishing forever so I'm with you on that
1: yeah. And I mean, it's, it's probably an underrated learning tool too. Cause and I've been so busy this year. I haven't got to watch hardly any of it, which sucks, but you get to watch guys make like real time adjustments. Like you're not, you know, you get to literally see what they're doing in that second on the water and you can learn a ton from it. So bath live, MLF live, all of it. It's, it's great.
0: Yeah. No, uh, no doubt about it. Um, well, I tell you what, man, I, Assume that if you're not at the ramp, you're really dang close by now. So I'm I'm going to go ahead and let you go because I've eaten up a lot of your time today.
1: Um, oh, it's all good. I've enjoyed every minute of it.
0: Uh, but first of all, congratulations again on the win. It was fantastic. Um, and then second, you've got a guide business. You've got some social media. Uh, you've got some sponsors. Hit me with the plugs because I'm all ears.
1: Yep. Yep. So Instagram is Emil Wagner One. It's just E M I L W A G N E R and then One. And then I've got Facebook. You know, that's just my name. And then I've got a website for all my guide services. It's just Emil Wagner Fishing And uh, I'd love to have anyone down who wants to fish Lindy Ear, Hartwell, Alatuna. And that's really all I got. I've got a YouTube channel too that I haven't uploaded a video on. And like a year and like two years or something i'm trying to get better at that but uh you know hopefully we'll have that going you know this fall or next year and then that's really about it
0: all right man well uh i know you uh kind of run with greco a little bit and he's pretty good at the youtube thing so he might be able to help you out on that front and
1: he gives me crap all the time (laughs) he's a lot better on that front than i am so i'm I think if I room with him enough, I'll probably, uh, I'll probably have one kick in here sooner or later.
0: Nice. Well, uh, I tell you what, man, it was—it's been a pleasure talking with you so much today, um, and uh, congratulations on the win. It was a really good one.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it, and uh, it's been a great interview. And I appreciate y'all and the rest of MLS. Thank you so much.